So I'd like to just um, begin the afternoon with asking if there's anything from this morning that you'd like some resolution on or clarification about. Yeah. Thank you, Ajahn, for your teaching last night and this morning on the five Indriyas. Um, I have a question about Shraddha. Um, it seems to me till now in my experience that out of the five, Shraddha is operating like a linchpin of some kind. And as long as some shade, to use your word, of Shraddha is present, I'm able to find inroads into sati, samadhi, virya, and so forth. Baby steps, imperfectly, to the degree that I can. But when shraddha is eroding, my question is, how can I cultivate it? It seems if shraddha is present, I can cultivate, to some degree, the others. But if shraddha is eroding, what can I do? And I was trying to understand the connection between this and the, the 24 nidanas and the 12 positive nidanas and how it says that I believe Shraddha is the second one arising out of contact with Dukkha and it's that relationship of how does Shraddha arise out of suffering with big trauma I've had that experience but with the slow daily grind of ordinary Dukkha and disappointment in particular um, it's a bit mysterious to me. So I was just wondering if you might share your experience, thoughts on that. Yeah, well... <clears throat> Several places. Uh, primary place that's always recommended is uh, recollection of the Buddha, the Dhamma, the Sangha. So faith arises that uh, someone has arisen in this world who seeks for one's welfare, teaches the way out of suffering. Yeah, so that's, that's always the formulaic encapsulation of it. Uh, pragmatically, it often means you, you, you meet or you talk to someone else. When your own sadhara is floundering, you talk to someone else <laughs> who can... Yeah. Yeah. And the first quality of the contact isn't oh well I know all the answers because that doesn't help you immediately. The first contact is yes, there is suffering. So that means now there's nothing wrong with you. You're not separated. The suffering I know this too. So the first quality that allows us to rise up is the sense of not being alone, of fellowship, of Kalyanamita, spiritual fellowship. Then, okay, this is where we are. Okay, then there's the possibility of rising up. You know, where, where Dukkha is not a noble truth, but just an ignominious <laughs> truth rather than a noble truth, is a feeling of something wrong with me. Something wrong with me. It's my fault there's something wrong with me. And then the isolation, you know, means that we go into a very negative feedback loop, there's something wrong with me, therefore I am 
innately incapable of coming out because what I am is defined by, the, by suffering. My incapacities, my addictions, my phobias, that's, that's what I am. I'm defined by them. This is dukkha as, as not a noble truth, but as an ignominious <laughs> collapse. <laughs> the noble truth of it is, oh yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah. Yo, yeah, oh, sure, yeah, I get that. Oh yeah, oh right, uh-huh, oh yeah, 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 that, yeah, that's true. You know, and suddenly, uh-huh, really? You, this one, yeah? You get it too? Yeah, yeah, sure. Oh. You know, that's the first thing is the sense of contact, which takes us out of our sealed bubble. Yeah. That doesn't mean suddenly everything's all right, but there's, you're no longer then spiraling round in this self image of self defeat. You know, somebody else there. It's not just me, this is something that human beings live with. You know? And then someone who also says, Oh, yes, that. And what I found helpful was, Oh, somebody's actually practiced with this rather than collapsed underneath it. Yeah? So then the Dharma, the teachings, is the second object of faith. And the Sangha, which is the human principle of, of how, you know, we begin, we don't realize, the Buddha is realized, Sangha is not, it's that which is working towards realizing. So once we're part of that, then we're really on board. And there's a sense of, this is the kinship, this is the, this is the membership, this is the family, this is the tribe, this is where we are, we move on, you know? You just recognize more as anything that you can discern or note in yourself yeah, that you can have a word for. How come you've got a word for it if nobody else experiences it? <laughs> if you've got a word for it, you bet your life that everybody else has experienced this. Otherwise, there wouldn't be a word for it. <laughs> obvious, isn't it? <laughs> How come there's language around that one? You go, okay, this means everybody gets this. As part of and Valami doesn't want to, you know, but there it is. So <clears throat> then can we... So there's, there's a like, you know, the, the kindling, which is the first spark, the kindling of, if you're not that, that's something that happens to you, you know, you're the you're you're not the disease. You're the patient, <laughs> if you like. Then there's the possibility that you could actually get cured. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, very fundamentally, as the basic mudra of meditation is that sense of, as I was saying earlier, object objectification. You know, this which I seem so much entangled in can be named and placed. The fact that that can happen at all, what is it that can do that? How come I can watch my, whatever it is, my madness or my pain, I can, I can be beside that? How come? You know, that means there's some degree of liberation to at least enable there to be... To be conscious 
acknowledgement. <coughs> no, that, you know, there's where, you know, faith arises, or can arise, if you, make, if you really dwell upon that. And then, because from there, you think, now how is that? Why is that? How come I can notice that and be with that? Hmm, what is it that can witness that? What is it that can, you know? And then really the process is one of more fully potentizing the witness. So the witness is not just, you know, witnessing in a kind of gobsmacked way, but actually becomes responsive and empathic. Then we come into heart, which is the great healer. Lady at the back, I think, got a hand up first. Thank you. I, I, I think it was this morning, but, uh, but perhaps it was last night. Uh, you made a quick remark that uh, uh, practitioners tend to misunderstand and are told all the time attachment is bad and that this was a misunderstanding. And I wonder if you might comment on that, uh, explain that, particularly with, uh, with re- respect to the, the householder life. Attachment, confusions around attachment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <clears throat> I became particularly <clears throat> well aware of this from a few perspectives. One is that the, the incredible idea that people have to not be attached, and how um, anytime you know they get very judgmental about their attachments, which doesn't actually help them to free it up at all. <laughs> We shouldn't be attached. So we attach to the idea that we shouldn't be attached. Uh, attachment. And uh, what an, what an in, inaccurate kind of holding that is because we can take non-attachment to mean not, not being present with, not holding it, not handling it. So if I'm not, I don't want, I'm not attached to it means, you know, I don't want anything to do with that. Yeah. And it, does, it doesn't work because... Now, also, I was studying for a while, I was sort of listening and contemplating a while, people talking on developmental psychology, and they're saying how important it is to have attachment, attachment theory, which means uh, you have to have some attachment to parents and parents attached to you in order to give you a shape. You see what I mean? A psychological shape. So what you're bonded to or connected to shapes you. You know, you don't have a choice. You know, you're going to be either good, whatever shape you are is going to come from the bonding that occurs as human beings as you, in your development. Imagine having parents who weren't attached to you. So, you know, they come and go, kids, as it goes, another one, never mind. <laughs> but instead, it's a kind of uh, an attachment that's, that I'm sure these things are not completely pure, but there's a sense in which it's, it's a necessary function of compassion and empathy to bond. But it's a bonding that's not about trying to, to, to derive something from it, like, I want to hold this so as I will get something out of it. 
I want to hold this so as I can get something more out of it. But there's a kind of attachment which is just, I want to be with this so as I can know more clearly. That's called mindfulness. <laughs> yeah. Now, if, if we're very, when we're very small, you know, we come out of the womb and, wow, what's this? You know, this whole incredible, confusing deluge of sensory impressions and then internal stuff starts activating. You know, where am I in all this? Where at, what, what, you know, where's the location in this? And you need the sense of the, the mother, father, there you are, there you are, there. and you, you're, you're welcomed, you're, you're, you're precious, you're here, you're contactable, you know, and all that. You get a sense of something helps you to feel established. Yeah. You're framed, and you're framed by the goodwill and the physicality of your parents. It's not just send you an email. So the physicality of the actual physical contact helps you to know this bit is the me bit and it's okay. It's received with some sense of warmth, affection. It's not, you know, so the membrane around us is not fear. Yeah. It's not a fear membrane. Yeah. So because of that, we start to feel, oh, I'm okay being here in a world where there's an external and internal, the boundary is, is comfortable, it's okay. Therefore, one's able to then establish an integrating consciousness, a consciousness that can work properly, because I know which is the me bit and the you bit and how to operate. I'm not kind of withdrawing from it, I'm not helplessly thrown out into it. That's, so that kind of attachment helps the citta to form its basic... Um, measurements like this is me that's there I'm this I'm that um, this is painful this is pleasant this is dangerous this, you've got to have some reference points now as we grow up we don't necessarily lose that that, that same system operates like this is me this is you this is safe this is comfortable this is acceptable this is dreadful this is not okay that same thing is going on. Yeah. And so we need to con- we constantly, something is constantly creating what's an agreeable boundary, what's an agreeable face, you know. And that becomes even more important. You know, what's the, so we've got, in the big city, you've got to have style, you've got to have the right face, otherwise you're not going to make it. <laughs> you know, so the, the, the boundary and how we maintain that is quite important. Now, you can't not have boundaries. Of you, you're just scrambled. You have to have the boundaries. So we're holding those boundaries with a sense of trying to, to hold our boundaries with a quality of flexibility, firmness, confidence, warmth, and so forth. So then, as if you like, there's a, there's a sense of self, which is not about my ego, but just about presence of mind. And we're, we're attached to that. Or that operates in terms of how things uh, can be measured or, ju- or assessed. And so there's that. And in, in daily life, you, what's highly recommended, considered 
I think almost indispensable is spiritual friendship. So right throughout our life, we're still measuring and being measured and being affirmed and hopefully being welcomed and reassured by skillful attachment to other people. That is, you know, I, I want to listen to what you say. I respect you. I feel okay with you. There's, we have some kind of bond here. Yeah. Some sort of attachment, you might say. We, we can refer to each other. And that's so helpful because that kind of attachment is, the, is a skillful bond that helps us to let go of attachment to neurosis, fear, doubt, the really difficult stuff which arises within us. So you use one form of attachment, conscious, clear, negotiated, and sympathetic attachment to overcome dysfunctional, neurotic, imaginary attachments to things that don't actually exist, like what I should be. <laughs> yeah? Does that help? So, you know, okay, it means uh, what works for me in terms of boundaries, in terms of I, I need so much space, or I, I work best in this space. Uh, I'll, I'll manage, I'll endure, but I can, this is the place, this is the kind of situation I work best in. Um, these are the people I can get on with most easily. There's some people I try, some people I just can't manage with. Yeah. So is that attachment or is it just being wise about your limits, about what works for you? With a sense of, this is what works for me now and maybe in a week's time it will change, but this is where it is now. So we, we form a, some sense of, not exactly self, but, a, but a, a, a connection, a touch into the actual state of our mind and psyche now. And for that you have to have reference points which become your relative attachments. Relative attachments? Yeah. So, for example, I'm living according to all these training rules. I'm attached to them. Could I fall apart if I didn't have them? If I didn't, couldn't wear robes, I had to wear jeans, would I collapse and be a neurotic wreck? Interesting. <laughs> Good question, you know. If I had to go and work and make a living, would I still be, you know... Interesting, yeah. I hope, hope not. <laughs> but, you know, but then you think, well, actually, is this stuff here just in order to perpetuate my sense of grandiosity? <laughs> and it, you know, feed me, feed me, feed me. It's been nourished forever. <laughs> or is it something I'm saying, well, I, I can use this because there's a mutual recognition of... This sets up... A, an interesting and a useful relationship, you know. It sets up a useful, interesting relationship where I, I have trained myself not to demand, not to impose, not to grasp, not to seek, not to manipulate. I've trained myself in that way and to also offer what I can. That's my bit. And if that works for other people, those who that works for are welcome to, to be there and participate and keep this thing going, you know, keep this this sangha, this monastic bit going, you know. And that's, uh, so, because of that, I think, well, because I'm, that's where I'm living in, that's, that's the relationship, I have to respect that relationship, I can't start doing things that would somehow 
disgrace that relationship. You know? So there's a set of codes and standards and also ethical sensitivity to because this, relate, this thing can only be possible because of the two of us. I can't do it on my own. That's the way it's set up. I can't feed without you. That's pretty radical, right? So this thing only occurs because of two of us, at least. Yeah? So our fundamental unit is not an individual, it's a relationship. Our fundamental sense of who we are is really not an individual, it's a relationship. And that is a skillful attachment, you could say, yeah? because it's also not person-specific. It could be with any one of you or all of you, or five of you, whoever wants to be there. And that's what allows this particular manifestation to occur. And the, the line of that is there are certain codes, principles, pr- sensitivities, protocols that must be observed in order to keep that relationship pr- properly balanced. Is that an attachment or is that a skillful use of wise mindfulness? Now, we have to have reference points in order to negotiate our fears, our happiness, our exuberance, our retractedness to negotiate that. So that's what we set up conventional attachment for, if you see what I mean. Conventional attachment. So that these more radical, chaotic attachments can be released. Yeah. Gentleman in the back there. At, at the root of this, we have a semantic misunderstanding. There are two different uh, understandings of attachment. Certainly in families where you have a parent and a child attached to each other, literally tied to each other, that's a good thing. We live in an interpersonal we live in an interpersonal world at best, where we have close connections with family and community mm-hmm. and sangha and so on. But the the way the Dharma talks about attachment is sort of a, example attachment to views where you're tied into it right. and you need to let it go. So we're, we're using the same word for different things. Exactly. Where there are positive attachments, one thing about Northern European society going back a few hundred years, the Brits and the Germans, they're probably of societies around the world, the most detached between each other, cold and all of that stuff, that's a problem. So those of us who experience that need to let that go. And we need to become more attached in a positive way. Absolutely. Yeah, because we get very up in our heads about it all. And the heart sense is naturally relational. It means there has to be somebody else in it. You know, just because that's the nature of the heart. But up in your brain, you don't need anybody up there. <laughs> so that's where all the perfections, are, perfectionism arises here, and the ideologies. Yeah. So you know, to travel from here to here is really you know moving into false attachment to wise attachment. Yeah. You were saying that the frame transforms a subject into an object. It's reliable and it's larger than the contents that it frames, which obviously makes sense. It 
brings up to me just the pragmatic question of the third foundation of mindfulness, awareness of consciousness or the mind itself, especially when it comes to those latter questions that are in the sutta where the Buddha says knowing if the mind is surpassable, if it's as spacious and all-encompassing as it could be, or is it distracted and small? So what would you use as a frame to frame consciousness itself? How would you... Well, frame mind, yeah. citta. Mm -hmm. How would you frame, how would you get a distance or an objectification of the mind that you're in? What could possibly be larger than the mind itself to observe the mind? Or how would you get that perceptual objective distance to to know whether your mind is unsurpassable or not. <laughs> well, that's why I use embodiment, because embodiment, see, when it talks about, the Buddha talks about mind, he's talking about really mental effects, effective mind. The mind is affected by greed, the mind is affected by hate, the mind is affected by joy. There's a certain heart resonance there. Yeah? So how do you know you're being affected there's almost like a neurological or subtle somatic sense of shifting, trembling. And that's at a very foundational level of mind. So before even pleasure pain arises, there's effect. Yeah, so before pleasure pain arises, there's contact. There's, there's nothing and then there's something and then it's, oh, that's hot. There's something, there's nothing and then, oh, that's, yeah. So particularly when you're with things you're not quite certain what they are, is that too hot? No. Oh, it's okay. First comes the contact, then the feeling, and then the perception, and then whatever one feels about that perception. So you're going to the very you know, bottom layers of the conditioned mind, which is the sense of something, there is something rather than nothing. And then is, how is that? You know, which is... Is it a sense of vastness or a sense of contractedness? So even if we... this, you have to have pretty strong uh, sensitive mindfulness, but we might notice, you know, because most of us will be up at the top end of it or we're just dealing with thoughts or strong emotions, but then if you really start to scan down in the embodied sense, I'm feeling quite contracted with all this. You know? My sense of boundaries of space is quite limited uh, and that isn't good uh, now I feel a sense of space because it's absence of pressure contact is much more subdued and less impactful it's subtler that feels better and then too much space Oh, I don't know where. Hey, I don't like that. I, you know, um, where am I? You know, so, you know, so it's not that we're looking to be ultimate space, but just where, where, where can we frame? And recognizing that framing as a as a as a concept and as a practice is what mindfulness does. But actually, the frame shifts. First of all, it's just this is a body, and that's my thinking. You know. But then your frame can gradually widen and extend to subtler and subtler levels that you can still refer to. Yeah? As long as you can refer to it, then you can track it. But if you 
try to extend your frame beyond what you can beyond what you can contact, then you just get a sense of spaced out, which is useless. Mm. Uh, so essentially, you're coming down to the most fundamental effectiveness, being affected, of uh, mind, and probably at that level, we wouldn't even call it mind, we call it awareness. My sense, and there are two, two senses that chitta basically sets up. One is the sense of feeling, and the other is the sense of being. Yeah? And so, you know, the most strongest senses are the sense of feeling something. But we can also get a sense of being something, which, first of all, is experiences a certain sense of occupying space. Yeah? So we might say, well, how much space do I have now? And we wouldn't be able to measure that in feet or inches or visual sense. We might feel, I feel pretty, yeah, I feel pretty big. I feel pretty open. I feel, no, I don't feel that way. How's that? How come? What's, what's changed? What's happened? Yeah? Where is it? How can you measure it? But you can feel it. You can experience it. And we can experience, you know, a lot of people around, I feel quite uncertain. I feel rather small now. Big people around, you know, feel rather small. Coming into Manhattan over Manhattan Bridge in these high rises, I feel rather small. <laughs> Actually, I'm exactly the same size, you know. Uh, so that, what's that? And there's a very basic sort of, I don't know what you call it, um, somatic or proprioceptive sense of relative space. And that's right at the foundational level of awareness. And you can note that, you can detect that. So that's what comes through particularly very uh, thorough body work, working in your, your body, your locational sense. Yeah. This notion of uh, framing, just to follow on to the uh, answer that you have. The um, uh, sense that I have from what you were talking about this morning and last night in terms of awareness as being the, uh, the frame that uh, uh, almost transcends other frames is at odds with uh, what you were uh, just saying, to, at least as I'm hearing it. So if I understand it correctly, the ultimate frame is the frame of bare awareness without any uh, center, without any uh, personification or right. identification of I. So that's almost a frameless frame. Going outside of that becomes impossible, and perhaps that's what the Buddha was referring to when he referred to the unsurpassable mind with a capital M, as opposed to the mind uh, that we think of as citta, which has more of a, uh, a, a solid identification with an I. So as we become more and more familiar with the, uh, uh, with the frame of aware bare awareness, there is that quality of continuously going beyond whatever frame that we think we have uh, uh, anchored on and surpassing any kind of sense of uh, discombobulation or spacing out or, or what have you. So that it would seem that the, the real work is going beyond any kind of limitation into the non-dual. Is that accurate? Little work is working. Um, and it's, uh, it's, you see, it's like you can't go from square one to boundless awareness in one shot without losing something. Um, 
So, so often we have to, you can kind of skip over. So what's recommended is first of all really framing up your sense of your body, the feelings, the mind state, so you learn about those. And the frames will tend to open by themselves, widen by themselves. Uh, what mm. I would say that the unconditioned is frameless that, because the very act of framing is a certain volition to it uh, or that's this, a location to it a locational sense that's the last bit to go mm. but if that bit goes first of all <laughs> then you have something called psychosis <laughs> rather than nibbana you know? <laughs> You don't know which, which, which bit's me and which bit's something else. So we have to be quite careful about, okay, this actually is the feeling, this feeling, this specific quality. Let's really get with that. When that's finished, when, I've, when that's been resolved, there'll be an opening to something further in that process. Yeah. Isn't there some kind so in some ways it allows for very specific framing, but always framing things uh, in terms of mindfulness, non-judgment, non-fear, non-push, you know, just know it as it is. And then any microcosm that we know exactly as it is will start to give us an understanding of the, the big picture. Yeah. But we often got to work with very specific, sometimes quite humble points. Yeah. Isn't there some controversy about that? There are some teachings that uh, basically say that in the very beginning, there's the uh, possibility of getting an, uh, an awareness of awareness in and of itself, mm -hmm. and that that provides a uh, kind of a glimmer, a what a, a glimmer, glimmer yeah, yeah. of the uh, of you know that ultimate reality, and mm -hmm. the um, uh, the dropping off of all of the uh, the smaller frames becomes something that uh, uh, then is the work that leads up to making that glimmer fire. Right. Yeah, could be. But I would suggest that if you do see it as a glimmer, you understand it to be a glimmer, nothing more than that. Because <laughs> the, the real thing is that ending karma. So we have all these karmic processes which are unresolved. They have to be led to their completion. And then that's no longer, that is no longer a topic. It's finished, it's completed itself, we can move on. If we skip ahead then we can leave things unfinished. And it's like a person who's, got, who's broken a hole in a prison wall, got their head out. He says, I'm free, I'm a free man, I'm free. You say, because his head is free, you know. But what about the rest of you, you know? And if you're still thinking you're free, you don't deal with the rest of your business. <laughs> yeah. Uh, thank you. Um, could could you say a little more about the experience of the water element in the body? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Well, clearly, most obvious sense of water is wetness. You know, it's, it's, but then it gets rather difficult to find because the only really wet areas of your body will be the mouth, and maybe sort of slightly sticky in your palm, palms, of your hands. Um, so there's that. But then what will, in a more thorough way, what does water do? 
essentially water dissolves boundaries. It's a dis- dissolver. A lake cannot have half lakes inside it. <laughs> yeah. And uh, so it's the... So most... Uh, another very clear sign of water is shape. So shape of body, for example, if the body's completely dry, it's just a heap of dust. Yeah. So the ability of the body to sustain shape means there's a certain plasticity to it. Yeah. Certain shapiness, plasticity to it that allows it to hold a, a, a shape. So the shaping of the body is, is because of the water element. Yeah, so when you look at that, it's like looking at plastic bags full of water. You know, when you look around, you see plastic bags with different you know, rags wrapped around them that are called people. <laughs> Which, you know, and you realize most of this body is actually fluid. That's how come it, it gets so spongy, you know, and, and saggy and plump and, you know, all that kind of stuff because it, it's got that, that quality to it. And it's, uh, the water is the, also considered the cohesive element. In other words, it does not tolerate differentiation. So the useful of it as, as a practice is we find within our body, our body experience, certain different differentiations, which means this bit feels really strong, this bit feels weak. This bit was very acute, this bit is numb. So this is where you make your mind like water. Water is just all accepting, harmonizing, flowing. So you let your mind, make your mind like water and you bring your water-like awareness into your body and you start to dissolve these boundaries. By Water accepts all things receives all things, dissolves all things, neutralizes things, aims for coherence. That's, that's the thing to reflect on. Yeah. Okay, so let's uh, take a, a breath or two. So another nice way of coming into a sitting position is... Uh, you know, get your legs settled. Get your legs settled, get yourself a firm base, whether it's on a chair or a stool or whatever it is you're sitting on. And let your rest of your body melt down. Let's kind of go down, down to the ground. Like you really loosen everything up. And... Uh, you know, just see what you can loosen in your hips, stretch, let your mind go fuzzy, <laughs> relax your head and face, and really take a, a break. And feel your body, sense your body as the warmth in that, the protectiveness in that the ease in that, just like you're now becoming more fetal. Sense yourself as the, the ease and the relaxation, the warmth in that, completely held in that form. Feeling your breathing, the simple rhythm of it. Until you feel like 
till you feel like coming up. So really get a sense of, you know, you've had enough of this and you want to come up. And use your breathing to come up. So feel your belly pushing, expanding. You can rest on your hands. Come up slowly. Let your face particularly be unformed. That comes later. You get the feeling of your belly and then letting your chest find a comfortable place to rest on your lower body. Leave leave your face and head out of it for the moment. So let the breathing give you a complete chest, first of all. And then the arms and your hands. And the sweeping down to find out if you have arms or not. Extending and the hands warm contact contact with each other or contact with your legs wherever they're contacting finding that self-referencing that the hands provide the hand is the first thing that knows us your contact with your hand the hand is the first self-reference this is me this bit and of course how is that before we have a head or a face how is that contact hand on your leg hand on your hand wherever it is letting it rest notice how even though we say this is me, it's actually relational because the me is really two things in contact. And here the simplest me is the contact of one part of the body against another part. So again, still waiting for a while before we build a face or a head feeling the contact and bringing forth or touching into the heart sense this is safe this contact is safe it's not aggressive it's not seeking anything it's just pure contact Definition safe for the warmth of your body, tingling, and bring forth the first uh, first inclination of the heart. May this be well. May there be well-being. May there be freedom from 
aggression, violence, fear, mistrust. May this be well. May this be protected. Uh, Not defended, but protected. Protected, there's something precious, valuable here. May not be squandered, cheapened, disregarded. So we don't know what it is exactly, but just the sense of being here, being alive, being sentient. May this be protected, seen as valuable, sensed, not disregarded, not dismissed. Third inclination, May this be enjoyed, admired, feel the energy there. There's something that's there that's not nothing. Something alive, warm, potent. Don't know what it is, but it's got, it's there it is. This is mudita, appreciative joy. Appreciating presence, felt presence. The fourth inclination, even-mindedness. Let this be the way it is. May this be the way it is. May I trust it. May I not be saying how it should be. May it allow it to be the way it is. And it changes this form, this presence. And whatever flavors it, shapes it, colors it, may it be the way it is. May I trust that. Not cramp it into models or expectations. You feel your breathing within you, internally, moving through this form, this presence form. And using your hands to frame the external form. Just touching. See if you can just use your hands to touch into where your head is. It's the sense of having this thing or this form you know what's it feel like from the outside various hollows and bony bits and bristly bits and touching it how it is touching it letting your face rest in the hands or feel rested by the hands. So the contact, 
first contact we're defining our face with is not what other people see or we think they see but what we can feel it's extremely acute sensitive area may this be well may this be valued enjoyed allowed to be what it is feeling the form of your head and face as a form and breathing in filling it internally with the experience of breathing recollecting that in our own very own lives yeah as we came into birth we were the hope of our parents their delight and can we just touch into any of that that we can even suggest to ourselves before we were framed by other influences we were the new the fresh the possible the hoped for so just really framing a form presence form form that's endowed with the qualities of goodwill formed with kindness compassion appreciative joy and evenness of mind seen, held, received in that way shaped in that way and you feel your textures of your body as if they've been molded in that way your skin boundary carefully placed around you in that way you're breathing continually reiterating that same message I'm here for you it's here for you there's no hurry there's no competition fill up all you need clear out empty just returning to or regaining the healthy form you feel the scurrying of thoughts and impressions just like things that rush run over your skin Mm. keep your form sustain the form Mm. something really sticks something that seems to stick in you or start you know, tightening up in you try to widen to come back to the healthy form widen, soften come out of the localization 
of pain or turbulence. Breathe through it. Let the feeling, the trembling, the urging, whatever, let that happen. Waves until the form has re-established itself. And then as I, you hear the sound, the repeated sound, which is the bell, as you hear that sound, try to just sense that not as an alarm for activation, but just as something that's saying, here we are, there's a group of us here. You know, it's not act, it's here we are. And when you're ready, you come into full awareness of each other, opening our eyes. But this isn't an alarm signal. It's just a sense of resonance filling the room, right? reminding all of us that we're here together. Keep your form. Mm. Qualities of resonance and sympathy. You get the sense of that open into the awareness of other beings through your eyes, through your ears, through your antennae. Mm. Okay, let's take a few breaths, freshen up. Mm. So just you know getting some <clears throat> senses, some reflections on coming into healthy form. So formed in terms of presence, you're a presence rather than an absence. Yeah. You're a presence, not an absence. Yeah. Now that's what you know can know in your body. And so that's automatically enriched with qualities such as uh, warm-heartedness, well-being, enjoyment. You're a presence, not an absence. How amazing. (laughs) When you come into your head, you're an absence rather than a presence. (laughs) You're all the things that you're not quite yet that you could be in a little while, that you're not certain about now, that you didn't quite get right, that you haven't resolved. You're all those absences. <laughs> you're all those absences. So this is what we've got to change, because those absences are never going to be filled. You know, really get it. Now, they're never going to be filled because those absences, they're induced with ignorance, with uncertainty, with the need to keep running on to fill them up. And uh, the game is they're never filled because, uh, you know, because your head doesn't really, it's not your body. Your head sense is not your body sense. Your body sense is already filled. Your head sense is 
what am I going to do to organize things, to make things better, to make things change because they're not the way they should be and I've got to work towards the future and make things happen and remember so-and-so, there's all these gaps appearing that I've got to fill in <laughs> with certainty and clarity and knowledge and confidence and functionality. Imagine if there weren't any gaps, what your head would do. Uh, <laughs> what that program would do you go, it would just diffuse wouldn't it, it would just spark it would just blow out <laughs> there's nothing to do you know, <laughs> for yourself you know. but if that you know, once we get the sense of it's not we're not using our heads for ourselves you know, to fill in those those gaps, then we're able to say, "Well, what can I do for you? You know, how can I bring that warmth or clarity or guidance to you?" Then the head is doing something helpful. <laughs> it's connected to the heart. <laughs> it's connected to the heart, rather than just to itself, with all its projections. Right. And what can I do for you? I don't know who you are. Yeah. You can't know who you are from who this other person is from here. You can get some all sorts of data coming into here. From here, I don't know who you are. I just know you are. Yeah. And there's a sense of that which knows me, the warmth, the presence, that's going to move out. That's going to move towards you, whoever you are. Yeah. Because that's the only language the heart really knows. You know, I mean, the, the healthy heart. The poisoned heart knows lots of things. <laughs> you know, fear, def- guilt, regret, defense. So we've got to get the heart into, the, you know, when the heart is formed through the body, then it's starting to come back into its health aspect. So why we always begin the Brahma Vihara towards this being? Because if you don't have this being, this sense of presence here, warmly, sensitively received, what do you do out there? You know, how can that? If you haven't got the message here, where you can directly feel it, how's it going to go out there? It's the same tune to others as to myself. So we'll just continue working on the body. uh, Changing some of the body patterning, some of the body uh, pain structures or, or rigidity structures. And this will do a little some exercises, so if you will, if you feel like it, I invite you to come up to your feet, come into standing position. So now I just suggest we spend some time, maybe up to half an hour, not to be too, not to be too rigid about it, but uh, see how it goes for yourself. 
The theme here is just turning energy towards our embodied presence. You may have begun to get a sense of what energy can be about. Here you are sponging down your body and uh, moving stuff around. Now we're using the, the movement of the breath as a signal. Moving the movement of the breath, the flow of the breath as a signal. It's like it's slow, it's thorough, it's repeated, it's rhythmic, it's safe, it's refreshing. Can we use that as a signal to our hearts just to come back into this embodied form maybe well? Touching ourselves, if you like. So rather than thinking ourselves or even you know you know looking at ourselves with a cognitive apparatus touch yourself with your heart awareness touch your embodied presence how that is the warmth of it firmness of it it's not something to take for granted you know you can lose this people lose this and get into very difficult places Touch it with appreciation, embodied presence, sensitivity. Something that uh, keeps me sane, keeps me whole, keeps me connected. This embodied presence will, if necessary, arouse defense, if necessary. It will move into intimacy, if that's the condition. Now, I'm saying those situations, those conditions are not present at the moment what's it like just to be here embodied presence appreciating it connecting to that breathing it may this be well may this be free from dissonance constrictions dissociation Whenever we feel physical discomfort or pain, try to connect that to the whole body rather than push it away or put a fence around it. 
widen, soften, widen, include the uncomfortable, welcome it into presence, breathe into that, breathe through it, let go, begin to work on the mental resistance or impatience or whatever goes on with that. If you find at any time that you're not connecting to this, it's not working for you, you don't feel comfortable with this, take it just till you feel you've got to move, stand up, just feel com- it's okay to gently move your body, feel your body again or take go and get some water or something. But really, you try to stay in the felt presence above all what helps that again as you hear the goal it's not an alarm it's just a reminder we're all here so sense of tuning into our communality when it's appropriate just to open to include others in your awareness visually and even in your memories people who live inside you may they also be well Take your time. So let's have a check-in, check-in period. How's that? How's the sense of that? How's all that been? <clears throat> Not so much, you know, questions, but also just comments on what what's felt or what's sensed or what's missing or how that is for you. and things um, all the exercises that we did I, I felt more focused and I kind of I kind of um, the thoughts started coming and then the breathing started going to the top of the chest and um, so I just said oh here we go again so it was <laughs> it was like so I said well Maybe I could play a game. Maybe I could watch my breath at the same time that I can think all this. And <laughs> I couldn't do it. So I thought, oh, well, actually, maybe I could use this, you know. Like, so I said, okay, so I'll just watch the breath. And then when I started watching the breath, I couldn't do it. So I kept focusing on the breath until I lost it again. And it was kind of a cool trick. Lost what? Lost the... Um, I kind of would... I would have the thought, and then I would... When I was thinking of the breathing, I was able to focus and, and stay with the breath. And then I would kind of, I, would, I don't know how it happens, but then the thinking's taking over again. And there's this, that blur, you know, that kind of blur, and then the thinking's going on. And, you know. Anyway. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It was really 
I, I want to write some of this down. This is really like as soon as I get home. Yeah, yeah just investigating how it actually is. You know, what happens, process. There's a loss of uh, loss of importance. You know, something else arises and takes us out. So often, uh, like quietness and calm and things that don't have a very distinct focus, sharp-edged, not very important or not very valuable. So we tend to move towards things that are more sharply focused, the most sharpest focused things are our thoughts. So that's, you know, the rising of that. And then if you notice, you're following thought, the point when you recognize, well, you know, on this train, the thought train, it doesn't go anywhere useful. (laughs) So then there's that awakening around the train of thought and you start to sort of uh, widen your awareness around it and then where's the breathing now so then you can return or let the breath come up through the thought just that thought comes up through the breath and the breath come up through the thought catch the thought again catch the breath again it's like swapping trains Um, I heard you on on audio dharma a couple of times talking about the breath and I wanted to ask you a question about awareness. When we recognize that we've lost the breath or we are not paying attention to the breath and we come back, would that be a definition of awareness the beginning of awareness I mean well it's a simp- it's an unfolding because of awareness is all of its awareness but sometimes our awareness contracts or just goes down to being a thought train so you you acknowledge that there's a recognition of the fuller quality of awareness. That you're not just the thought, but you're also the awareness of the thought. So your awareness is still of being quite narrow, following thought, being thought becomes the awareness of thought. Yeah, so it kind of you, you let your awareness expand to more you know, qualities of body, qualities of breathing. 
But the acknowledgement is really called wisdom. The moment of acknowledgement is wisdom functioning. Oh, it's this rather than that. Aha. Uh-huh. That's what's called wisdom, realization. I thank you very much, Ajahn. Just a quick comment. Maybe there's a question in it, but it was a quick comment. I very rarely uh, meditate just full body awareness. And so I was enjoying the feeling of the whole body. And then the place where the body was surrounded by space. And then suddenly at some point, it wasn't surrounded by space, it was blending into the space. And so it was just all space. <laughs> the wonderful experience. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, the edges, the edges dissolve, huh? Mm-hmm. Great. Um, hello. I, I felt like that sitting was very anchored in the physical work, physical embodiment that we did, and that the very beginning of the, of the exercises, you started with the heart. And or I was very struck when you spoke of the heart as um, feeling protected and safe. And later you talked about, you said our body can be aroused, aroused to defense or in, with proper conditions can, can be open to, open to intimacy. But I was very aware that, um, I f- that I feel very safe here and a kind of softening can happen here that doesn't happen many other places in my life. And I'm wondering about your thoughts on cultivating that that safety, not just in a in a setting like this, which is feels very literally safe. Yeah. Well, why uh, you know one of the results or the consequences of meditation and realizing what's necessary, what's needed. Uh, because you're checking in with reality, <laughs> that elusive creature. <laughs> the reality of, of what helps me to be present, sensitive, aware, comfortable. It's called reality. <laughs> and there's no supposed to be about it. So when we come to that, we recognize reality to be real uh, in an unreal context, in a context which is so full of non-realities. We need some boundaries, so we have to build those in. So one of the results of, or consequences of, of, of realization is to start to build in conventional boundaries. Yeah. So one of them just is your bodily presence, Everything, you know, you realize the unreal world wants to take you out of bodily presence, pressurizing you, pushing you, exciting you, enticing you, encouraging you to get out of your embodied presence. So you've got to work against that, like walking at your own pace, for example, simple things like that, walking at your own pace, being prepared to not rush to get across the traffic, you know, if it means losing it. You know, being prepared to 
walker where you're really in your whole body. So then you can use walking down the street as a sense of coming into my body and you can see all these things pulling you and pushing you and just, okay, you know, walk. <laughs> yeah, so that's a boundary. Um, boundaries of attention. What do you give attention to? Whatever you give attention to, in some ways you give power to. Because we give you attention to, you're inviting it to enter you. Whatever you give attention to, you're opening your doors to. Yeah? So just kind of bear that in mind because a lot of times we just swing in open and attention to any old thing just because it, it jumps and shouts and glares and flares, you know. So some things you've got to, uh-huh, uh-huh, you know. Learn to use your attention as a, a gift. You know, I'm, I'm going to give you attention. That's incredible. If somebody gives you attention, don't just give it to any old thing in the street, you know. There's a sense of enough attention to know it's there, you know, okay, navigate, but you don't want to give more attention to it than it, than it really merits. So that's what's called sense restraint. Yeah. Uh, that's important because if you you know you go through a city you've got to practice sense restraint otherwise you're going to be flooded completely swamped so the sense restraint and you've got kind of peripheral things like oh, oh what's happening there is traffic a person's in trouble then yeah you can open to it but you've got that kind of main beam and you've got peripheral focus just enough to keep you know, opening the doors if you need to. Boundary of attention. Boundaries of intention. And this is fundamentally ethics. You know, so our intention is what I'm going to activate. Attention's what I'm going to receive. Intention's what I'm going to activate. Again, very uh, significant because whatever one intends that creates karma intention is karma so whatever you intend there's going to be consequences for good or for bad so whatever one does with intention is going to come into your your story your ongoing story your karma so well, let's get our intention ethical so nothing I do is going to give me a, you know I can feel regret for so we look at things, ethics, integrity, simple rule to others as to myself. Simple rule, um, keep the mind clear. Simple rule, uh, you know, not taking what's not given. You know, five precepts basically. But you know, rather than just five precepts as laws or as letter, also look into the whole area of. What I give my, what do I intend? Can my intention be based upon the law of presence? Law of presence is kindness, protection, enjoyment, and equanimity as a Brahma Vihara. 
You know, to be present has, is that. It means I'm willing to be here. Yeah. I think what's here is valuable. Uh, I think what's here is to be enjoyed in its, itself, not to be something I've got to add to, but it's enjoyable, appreciable, honorable, respectable, something I can say, yeah, this is good. And I can also let it be the way it is. You know? So our intentions then, can we say, when we come into contact with another person, may she be well, may he be well, may there be no harm between us, this kind of thing. Uh, boundaries of intention. The other really helpful intention to cultivate is the intention to simplify Everything in the unreal world is trying to complexify, complicate, proliferate, procrastinate, duplicate, replicate, complicate, you know, just blah, 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 blah. Simplifying means things like, what do I nearly need now? What's important now? When you get these very complex mental stories, what does that mean in one word? Simplify. Yeah. Yeah. Simplify. And when we simplify, we say, you know, because presence is very simple in a way. There's this, and, you know, you know. And so you get more quality, less quantity through simplification. And those are really helpful. Um, boundary markers for where we are what we do what we receive what we take in and what we bring out yeah Um, in terms of the boundary markers I had the experience uh, where I sort of don't know whether I lost awareness or increased awareness. Um, here's, I'm not quite sure what I went through, but here's a rendition of it. I hurt my knee uh, yesterday, in fact. And I was struck by your comment about focusing on the pain and then surrounding the pain with space, giving it room, and also having part of that surround be the rest of my body, which would sort of say, oh, look at your pain, you know, gee, that hurts, but look how it doesn't hurt over here, and so on and so forth, and that there's a context that can kind of uh, hold or even kind of comfort the pain. So that was a, a very pleasant thought, and I found myself um, then falling into an awareness of my whole body, including that pain, and including the room and the sounds from outside, and uh, and I, in retrospect, I wondered, well, was I falling asleep? But I wasn't asleep. I'd, I'd uh, tended to fall asleep a little earlier today, but this one wasn't that. And instead, it was being uh, almost felt like a cat nap, except again, lacking that aspect of, of uh, being asleep or 
thinking I might fall over or anything like that. Instead, it reminds me of when my cat, maybe after a good meal, will just find a very comfortable place to sit and with her eyes half open, just he be is there. Up. What? He is pricked up. Yes, yeah. awake and yeah. listening and, you know, the least little thing, uh, like the sound of a cat in another yard will get her looking. Um, but that leaves me with the question, was I, was I aware or, you know, where was I? <laughs> well, did you have to be anywhere? <laughs> Perhaps you didn't need to be anywhere. <laughs> so you were kind of s- sort of uh, spread thin over a whole field rather than a particular concrete point. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. Some of the distinct form of self can, it can dissolve and yet there's still uh, referencing, referencing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I experienced a sort of dissolving of self, but I think it was more dissolving than just falling asleep, unfortunately. Yeah. Certainly after, after we sat down, there was a quality of energy in the body that, that was certainly enlivening. It was very quiet inside, but as time went by and the energy began to fade, so did I. <laughs> yeah, so did I. Yeah. yeah, it's, uh, yeah. And then you can kind of... <laughs> just, just be there, you know. Yes, just be there with that, because it's like you know things have to extend and then they have to subside. Given time to just come up again. We're very rhythmic, you know. When you really extend energy the way we were doing, then there's that sense of yeah, and then something has to just dissolve and you know give it the time to sort of come through come back again well that I mean that would happen so eventually I would you know either jerk and wake up and reestablish my posture and awareness of the breath and so on and then gradually so you're essentially saying that sort of ebb and flow of energy is yeah I wouldn't sort of snap back you know you find yourself you notice you you feel softened your sense of focus has gone rather foggy and then you can notice that. You, somehow you do reference that. Okay, now don't let's kind of panic about this. <laughs> uh, you know, okay, let's wait. And within that, within that, can, can you feel a form of any kind? Any form? Form. It's more like fog. Yeah, that's, that's the texture, yeah. So fog doesn't have much of a form to it, it's true. Yeah, the texture is, is not sharp, not crisp, not granular. It's kind of foggy texture to it. And then is there a, you know, any kind of sense of a boundary of that? 
see within that any center to it there's any a ground there's a groundedness there's a weight huh there's a groundedness there's a weight okay good the groundedness and a weight you may be able to get a sense there's a center somewhere within that maybe i mean these are things that okay so it's not razor sharp but there's certainly a quality of presence in that hmm? Now, can you, what's necessary, what's helpful, maybe we need to go to the groundedness, touch into that. Really rest on, lean on that, rest on that groundedness. Breathe into the groundedness. Let it, let it, let the groundedness become more giving it more attention, more awareness. The groundedness may very well kind of expand itself. We come perhaps more like this, you know. Okay. Then maybe we might sense need a center balance within that. Okay, there's a balance. Still feel kind of bleh. Yeah. But there's a balance and there's a ground and just hang in that for a while. And let things come like the sunrise, you know, take form in. Yeah. And of course, um, goodwill rather than negativity, rather than, oh, you know, slap it into shape. <laughs> it's quite, you know, if you have time when you wake up in the morning before you get going, you know, maybe just even five minutes when you wake up in the morning, first time you wake up in the morning, just maybe just feel your hands and bring your hands somewhere on your body. And, you know, here we are. You know, rather than, you know, jump into into a form. Do you understand what I mean? You know, just here we are. So there's a little more graduated arising of form. You know, do you understand what I mean by form? Huh? Feeling a physical self, but any any kind of form. A form means there's an, an overall um, sense, you know. So, uh, obviously there's physical form, my body. Um, there's you know, conventional forms such as here I am being a producer or a taxi driver or something. This is my form, my social form, my physical form. Um, you know, mental mental forms, uh, and the mental forms can be structured around uh, performance or need or social obligations. So perhaps we can find a start to structure ourselves around whoever you are, whatever you are, before it becomes even that clear what you are, who you are, what you should be, just. 
just, just be well. <laughs> Whatever shape you want to be, just be, be, let that come out of, you know, with a good will, with a willingness rather than the, oh, you know. <laughs> yeah? Does that sound far-fetched? Yeah, yeah. So, you know, we, it's like putting your clothes on. You know, you put your identity on. <laughs> okay, you know, you're going to put this thing on. Okay, so you know how it works. Zip it up, button it in. Here's your identity, and you go along with that. There's <laughs> a time when you could unbutton your identity or some of it, and it's just here we are. And Because, you, you know, you've got to have a form. But the, the idea is to have form that's a bit more flexible and, and isn't riveted to you all, all the time. <laughs> Would you include going the other direction, going into back into dream forms, if you were still aware of that? Yeah. Yeah, when you say if you're moving the other way into, into sleep or into rest mode, then try to, to track, you know, to some of the dissolving, you know, some of the dissolvings, some of the kind of spaces that open up. You know, often in our conventional life, life is pretty hard-edged, sharp edges, there's a very distinct and we tend to move from one sharp edge to the next, one distinct duty or piece of conversation or piece of information to the next. You know, dung, 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 dung. So we're very much oriented around quite distinct forms, mental forms, thoughts, and so forth. And then in the in when you and that takes an energy to do that. And then when you begin to relax, some of those forms start to bend and buckle. Okay, now, can we be also aware of the sort of the, the general mood tone? Because when the forms, or the distinct forms, either you, you, you step back from them, or they soften, you can be perhaps more aware of the mood tone within which they arise. So sometimes the forms arise within a mood tone of, say, pressure or I've got to get this going or curiosity. And then in the dream, as we come into the dream state, it's much more, you know, there's no real, all those, you go into much more kind of open form or exploratory form of being. slightly more playful than work-oriented dream forms imaginative forms, intuitive forms you know, suggestive tones, mood tones rather than distinct hard-edged ones that's interesting and you know, you know, you know, you know the, mood, the sense of relaxing around a particular you know, thought or mood or so on it's like um, getting a little more playful 
you spoke a lot about uh, frames and con container, and I'm wondering when we're meditating and the body dissolves, I'm still having to refer to the frame. It kind of is in the background, more or less, rather than the forefront. So I'm wondering, I'm still kind of not sure the clarity of the self-reference as opposed to just knowing the awareness of that. I'm not sure about, I'm kind of in that zone where I'm not clear about this self-reference going back and forth and dissolving and staying with awareness, kind of knowing the awareness. So is, does their self-reference ever disappear completely or is that kind of um, all this still you in the knowing of the awareness that you are dissolved and you're just, just hanging out there. I, I'm not so sh I'm, st I'm still on this fence for a while and because my instruction was from my um, teacher was let go of the body, let go of the body, but it seems like I need that kind of the, the physical, kind of the dissolved, even the frame is very um, faded and dissolved. I, it still seems like it's present, this uh, self-reference. So self-reference is present. So I'm just wondering, like, how to work with that or stay with that, or well, how do you... Well, self-reference really only disappears in Nibbana. Hmm. <laughs> you know, so... Uh, but what practice is about is seeing whatever is referred to as self is actually process rather than entity and as one becomes more dispassionate with process with its strangeness and its beauty and its weirdness the growing dispassion is what begins to wear out the self-reference because in fact there's nothing really worth pointing to specifically so this self-referring finger this <laughs> It's just this. There's no, there's no point in referring to it because there's nothing to be gained or lost in all that. So you grow out of it kind of thing. You so grow out of it. You grow oh, I see. Okay. Exactly. So just, just hang in there and sort of... Just contemplate whatever is sensed as this is where I am, this is what's happening to me, this is what I'm coming to me, this is you know, any of that. It's just that's what's happening, period. You know, and... What's the, what's the, um, uh, you know, what's the need for that to be happening? What's the need for a self in that? Sometimes the need for a self is just to create a proper reference. Yeah. Yeah, it's like, <laughs> oh, it's happening to me rather than happening to her. You know, it's certainly, it's happening. So we need that, first of all, to get the feeling of, aha, uh -huh, got it, got it, got it. But then, I think in the maturation process, what happens is that, Awareness is, is self-aware. You know, it's already aware. It doesn't need to refer to anything other than than itself, in a way. Yeah. So, but that's a maturation process. It seems like something is kind of clear, and I'm I'm wondering also what do you mean by contemplation? Do we do that? 
kind of when I'm riding the train, I can contemplate, but also I can do that while I'm in meditation. Uh, sort of, could you kind of clarify what you mean by contemplation, like if I'm sitting down in my office and working and, mm -hmm. and then I'm doing the contemplation while I'm in meditating? Because anupasati means to kind of see things in a way. Yeah, I'm not sure about... I would say, I suppose, that meditation, if we're being more precise on it, is the, is the building of a frame. Like repeatedly, this is that, that's, that's a feeling, that's a sensation, that's that, that's that, that's that. And within that, you, once that's established and you contemplate, what's that doing, how is that, how am I with that? So sati, as we say, sati is the builder of the meditation frame and sampajanya, clear comprehension or full attentiveness or whatever, that is, is contemplation. That is, having established a focus, having stabilized within that, having it as an object, then how am I with that? What does it do? What's the feelings with that? So you're more like reading, reading it. You've got your book up there, now you're reading it. The book of your mind, your book of your awareness. You know, so being in this office, I'm, what's happening? I'm feeling impatient. I sit there. So there's the mind state, is this. This is the mind state. So now I'm reading the mind states as they come rolling up, contemplating them as arising and passing, as not self, as changeable. Mm -hmm. So would you also say that discernment has to be very present oh, yeah. uh, in the Sampajana? And then that kind of insight or wisdom is that kind of that just matures through this process of yeah, Sampajanya has, you know, wisdom faculty in it. Wisdom is not necessarily a separate thing. It permeates all levels of, uh, of cultivation. Um, so it's when it's got an anya on it, you know it's part of panya, panya family. <laughs> it's in the family. Yeah, so there's a wisdom there. And uh, Vipassana is really... Uh, bringing the three characteristics to bear upon experience constantly seeing things in terms of the three characteristics of anicca dukkanata mm. so whatever is sensed as solid lasting, difficult permanently this or that or the other instead it's sensed as this is a process going through change yeah. it's never going to complete it's never fulfillable. It's also not something that has any selfhood in it. So it's the vipassana is continually melting things down into this into emptiness, signlessness, desirelessness. But then, how do you continue the process, becoming dispassionate and yet engaged with this? Um, with interest and energy because sometimes this passion means uh, I could kind of maybe I could kind of shut down in a way and it's not about that is it I mean this passion seems more like you kind of get more mature and seems like you've seen things um, and you talked a lot about 
the Brahma Viharas of how holding it with uh, that sort of a, the, the, the joy, the compassion, and mm. the goodwill, and uh, uh, the evenness uh, of that. So, yeah. But I guess we need to be very patient. <laughs> exactly, exactly. It's about uh, non reactivity. So we're not getting, wow, great, or oh no. You know, there's a sense <laughs> of moving through out of those activations where we either grasp or reject, or well, that's it then, that's finished. No, it's not. <laughs> you know, those things where we want to kind of seal things off and stop things just being processed. Um, these activations, we get impatient. We want things to end. I wish we could get this thing to end. Comes no. The only thing that's the end is the wish that it ends. <laughs> then that's really patience and equanimity, and you know, there's nothing. There's nothing ends really. It just changes. Nothing ends. And I think it's also difficult maintaining this joy and humor. I think it just makes things so much more kind of bearable and interesting and right. um, the tone of that otherwise it can be so dead and serious and deadening I think right how do you yeah. kind of cultivate that sort of uh, just do the Brahma Viharas and stay in that kind well, of natural. cultivation they're natural you just have to take away the things that block them they're quite natural uh, heart is quite naturally empathic and radiant and then it will tend to incline in terms of either nourishing, which is the goodwill, protecting, which is compassion, rejoicing, having fun, appreciating the qualities of things, which is humor, that's mudita. And equanimity, which is just, let it be the way it is, you know, lighten up, come on. <laughs> it's been doing this for millennia, it's just, you know, <laughs> start struggling with it. Let it, you know, go through its ups and, you know, that's equanimity. So, that, you know, in a way that the fundamental quality of heart is empathic. It's, it is relational. It just is. We don't exist individually in the heart sense. We always exist contextually from moment to moment. Yeah? So, now what that contextual experience can be, can be marked with fear, can be marked with don't hurt me, can be marked with get off my case, you know, it could be marked with quite, you know, unpleasant tonalities. So we, when we do that, those tonalities keep pushing us apart, don't they? You know, get off, back off. So that tends to, and if that continues as, as like a permanent, so sometimes you just have to say back off. But like, give me, you know, cut me some slack, not drop dead. <laughs> You know, back off so, so we can be in a more healthy relationship, not get out of my life forever. But, you know, so that, that's okay. That doesn't mean a loss of empathy. It just means we need to navigate how we can be more helpfully empathic with each other. So, now that, that's, but when that, those things get kind of freaked or go weird, then they do lock into these negative patterns, you know, where the, the kind of fear or defense or you know, whatever it is, boundary, starts to generate the person as a frightening person. 
as a disgusting person, as a stupid person, rather than I'm feeling a bit overwhelmed right now, which is more the actuality. <laughs> you know, there's no, there's no stupid people, it's just me feeling disappointed <laughs> or something. So, you know, and then, okay, so that, that once you project those messages onto onto another or onto oneself as, as statements, this is where the empathy breaks down. Because once a person's been deter, deter, you know, determined as stupid waste of time, then I don't care about them anymore. You know, and then, then, then the whole misery starts, you know, and the actions start that seal us off. And this, this is the kind of disease of the heart, very, very, unfortunately, very common disease that we're all prone to catch this disease. So we've got to, you know, come back. It doesn't really mean, you know, creating the height. It means just clearing the, the disease to see right now I'm feeling threatened by you, that's all. You know, and I can I come to that and say, I want to breathe out through that and, you know, just give me a bit of time, will you? I don't want to be living in that. You know, otherwise I'm going to kind of end up describing you as threatening or something, you know. So... So then, if one's allowed that, then you feel a sense of, oh, that's, that's okay then. That's okay, and you get a sense of the natural warmth comes through. Yeah. You know, I mean, what hap- how does it come through, we, you know, in our, in, in our conflicted states? How does it come through by saying, well, you know, yesterday, I really lost trust in you yesterday. I, wanna, I feel we could talk about it. Then... then Love is coming through the fact that we can talk about it together, you know. Rather because I don't want to live in this state where I start to describe you in that way. So we say, "Oh yeah, there was that incident that I, you were doing one thing, I was doing another thing, and it, it hit us in different ways." And then there was that sense of that. But then you know, we, when there's that foundation in in true heart, then we recognise that you know the true heart can be bigger than all of these things. But we've got to refer to it rather than our opinions. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And you've got to keep referring to it. And it's, to- it's empathic and it's inclusive. It's inclusive. And real, the, the, you know, the big issue for it, how much can we include? How, you know, and this is, this is the thing, one is empathic, but maybe I just don't have the capacity now to include that, 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 you know this kind of being or this kind of I just, I just don't have it I'd like to be able to but I can't do it so I'm working on that you know <laughs> trying to let go of my fear or disgust with that action you know and start to see it as air people are as their action people are confused people are da 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 then at least I can feel some empathy for them it doesn't mean I want to go to on a camping holiday with them but, <laughs> but at least I don't have to let them sit inside me as nasty septic beings who continually make me feel sick <laughs> you know so we can have compassion for people's stupidity rather than that it poisons yeah. so then even, even when you don't really want to like people and think they're great and want to be with them still you don't have to have the heart soured by, by life and once one begins to sense that there is an increasing quality of natural joy and, and natural warmth and freedom it's natural 
You know, it really is the nature of the, of the heart. That's what, we, you know, that's what it is. <laughs> uh, so where, do, where does it get lost, you know? Often towards ourselves, isn't it? You know, we, we think ourselves, we describe ourselves, we assess ourselves, do we really, you know, empathize with, bring, ourselves, bring our apparent selves into our hearts? And what does the heart need? And often it needs just this embodiedness to give you the feeling of security, safety, strength. Because if we're in, in fear, then we can't open. You know, fear is the fundamental thing that stops us opening. And it's so difficult because when you're frightened of something, you don't want to go near it. How, how can you open to it? Yeah. If you've got security of your body, strength of that, then you can open a little bit, feel what happens here, breathe in and out through that, feel grounded open a little bit more you've got a way of gradually opening past fear I remember I was doing a walk with some people and uh, you know one of, one, of the, one of the women on the walk the walk is at a mountain she had um, what is it called you know when you, you get this paranoia over, over falling over edges of things vertigo is it vertigo yeah so she went on this walk in the mountain specifically to, to meet vertigo. <laughs> she wanted to work with it, you know, with this feeling of the, the fear and the dread and the real loss of, of edge, of, of fall when you're anywhere close to an edge. And we got, you know, we walk along a mountain path and we, the edge was, was not far away, you know, it was like there. And she was sort of walking, and she'd just have to sit down. She'd sit down, and she couldn't move. And we'd just gather round. We'd just gather around and sit there on this path in the mountains. We'd sit there, and she'd feel the presence of other people. And then when it was okay, she'd stand up, and we'd all stand together, and then we walk along like somebody's nine inches in front, somebody's nine inches behind. She's got embodied presence there just walking through step at a time feeling these waves of fear walking walking walk stop breathe sit down walking just walking through the fear so it doesn't you know so it doesn't freeze into the body and that way gradually disempowering fear from causing this uh, the body reactions now, our fundamental emotions, if I, I think all our emotions are actually embodied. And the most clearly embodied ones are things like fear, rage, grief, love. So, you know, you hit the fear button, right? And, uh, you know, you see the bear and the reflex occurs perhaps even before the emotion occurs the reflex happens then the emotion flushes up and then the thoughts start whirling on top of it but the first thing is a gut level you know 
And so these emotions are really like your heart's reaction or representation or assimilation of a bodily signal. The bodily signal is, you know, tense up, the heart registers that as fear. And then the, the brain starts, you know, coming through with what could happen to me and how terrible it's going to be. And so on. So when you come into your body, you can, if you can begin to carefully uh, unplug or go to those, those nerve endings, those reaction places in your body, and breathe through them, you can begin to unplug the fear soften the fear and then the heart starts to settle down so use your, your body to work with these things um, really powerful ones but then we notice even when we're sitting you know we get these tracks skittering thoughts and they carry a certain emotional tr- trace with them urgency you know got to get think worry worry very common Worry is social fear, isn't it? Fear of being blamed, fear of being late, fear of other people looking, seeing me in a bad light. Anxiety, fear. You, know. you see, these, these, are, these are kind of weaker forms of the same signaling. Can you hold them in your body? Yeah. Finding ground in your own body, breathing through it, so you come out of that. You come out of it, then you can think more clearly he did an experiment with uh, you know do you feel frightened do you feel fear before you start running away from the bear or do you run first and feel the fear afterwards (laughs) and he said actually you run first and then you feel the fear (laughs) your body starts moving and you know a split second later the fear comes in sometimes the fear doesn't even come in until you've got the time for it <laughs> <laughs> then you get oh my god where have I been you know the panic when the, when the, the need to act is, is less ok we're at 5 o'clock now I think we were is it 5 we were sort of well let's just pause for a, 3 minutes or so say So as we're just coming to closure for the day, and it's not a sudden snap from one thing to another, just let your awareness widen. Uh, get a sense of the whole day. Uh, and the whole room and the people in the room. Some we know, some we don't know. Just let's to include all that may this be well there's no may it pass may it change Mm. give it a blessing let it move on and then when you hear the sound of the gong that resonance as I say, it's not an alarm signal, but that resonance, just recognize, bear in mind that as you're hearing this, everyone else is hearing it. This same resonance is passing through all our ear consciousness. So at that point, at that particular time, we're all at that particular 
place, the listening place together. We'll let that fade and then we start to move into our separateness. Yeah, defining our own physicality, our own forms, our own separate directions. Taking leave. So be well and hope to see some or many of you tomorrow.